you were talking about rats that uh you were saying rats are maybe more evolved than uh was it more intelligent or more evolved than humans uh what was that um, it was uh it was dolphins yes rats and rats. then humans <laughs> uh i've got the a part of it from watching the or reading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah, uh, yeah. He said that um, that dolphins were the most evolved um, species on the planet. And if you look at rats, rats um, are what a lot of human experimentation they go on. So mm. when they experiment with uh, drugs and cosmetics, yeah, um, they use rats. And also, a lot of our waste in this in the uh, cities is eaten by rats. So they would they know about how humans live and how they discard their rubbish. And maybe if you look at it the other way, they know more about us than we know about than we know about them. Yeah, that that makes sense to me um, because. I'm just checking, just checking Facebook. Yeah, so yeah, that that makes sense. They're able to. I mean, I think that you know animals can communicate to each other. Um, it's sort of, I guess, in the DNA, some of this stored history or memory, I guess, is is passed down. So they're they're telling the the other rats, the baby rats that that come up. They already have they already have this information, and and um, you know I I was watching something where they hooked up certain things to the to the rat brains, and uh, watch as when rats go around you know the house or apartment, and they'll see a piece of food, but they won't eat that food right away so they'll they'll essentially scout out the location so they'll they'll go past the food and what they're doing is they're recording everything that's there along the way so if anything changes then it's going to freak them out and they're like oh no like there's something suspicious going on so they're they're really smart and they probably also know that we're doing this test on them Putting the thing on, on the brain, <laughs> and also in even in human interactions, when somebody does something to you, it says more about them than you. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, here's so, here's Tan Tanisha. I'm just gonna bring her in. So Tanisha is coming online. She is joining us, Tanisha Santiago. So hello. You, hello. I hear you. I don't see you. Oh, there you are. Hello. Hi. <laughs> wow. It's. I was telling Ron, I haven't seen you since... I was this big, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you were like six years old. Must have been. Maybe even younger. Like, yeah, it was tiny. <laughs> yeah. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? 
Good, good, good to see you. We were just talking about rats. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Grand Rising, Tanisha. Pardon? Grand Rising. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's cold at the moment. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so I thought we'd start off with, um, would you like to play some of the flute? Yeah. Okay. So we we'll, we we'll, we will mute our side. Okay. And whenever you're ready. Okay. So this is a little excerpt from one of my grade pieces, my last grade, and uh you might recognize the song, I don't know. Uh it's called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. Um and yeah, I try not to mess it up. <laughs> wonderful thank you i haven't picked up my flute for the last oh it must have been a year now um oh wow so i i picked it up this morning i was like oh god okay i'll, I'll take a piece <laughs> and practice for five minutes and i was like oh i don't screw up so <laughs> yeah you, you know i didn't i posted on on facebook uh, that i was looking for someone to play the the flute and i totally forgot that you played and your mom mentioned you and then I remembered years ago, I think she or you posted something of you playing the flute. It was, I think that it was, was something for mom. school. Yeah, I think it was your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and then and I remember listening to it at that time and it was so powerful. And, and um, so like one of the questions that, you know, when I, when, when I heard you play the, the flute, the first time I heard it years ago, there was a lot of, I don't know, I just felt soul in the music. You know, I just felt this. It made you really feel. And um, my question is, well, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about your journey? Uh, part of the reason why I wanted you to, besides playing the, the flute, that was the initial reason. But then 
as I told you in that message, when I uh, think about you, I think of someone who has persevered through, you know, struggles and frustrations and medical issues and and you're still living and doing the things that you want to do for the most part. I mean, I don't know the whole story, but that's the impression, you know, I got. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your um, background with, you know, if you, you can go into the specifics of it, if you want, uh, you don't have to, you know, maybe some of the pain that you do um, live with and some of the medical issues and how has that influenced uh, your perspective in life, you know, um, and, and what ways has that, um, like, what do you find in in life to help to deal with these these things you know to i don't know if deal with these things is the right word but like like an outlet or some way to channel the frustrations and the difficult emotions and things like that so well um i was first diagnosed with health issues i i don't even remember it i would have been it was just before my third birthday so um, it's kind of all I've known. And I think in a way that's been beneficial to me because I I know my mum also struggles with health issues and hers didn't kind of come until she'd kind of been working, she'd had me. Um, and I think that's quite like a big change to, to adapt to living with something like that. Whereas because I've had it since I was so young, I haven't had to adapt as much. I, I think I've always known being ill is kind of my first you know view into life so I, I think that did help but um you know if it, if it can help I suppose but um no I was diagnosed with uh juvenile arthritis when I was three which a lot of people don't realize small people can get arthritis too it's not mm. just uh old people I think a lot of people think oh arthritis when you know your grandma or your granddad is you know walking yeah. around hobbling on a plane um but yeah no children can get arthritis too teenagers adults of any age um so I was diagnosed, my mum realised that there was something wrong when I was kind of kamikazing across the carpet and mm. couldn't crawl. I, I never had a crawling stage. I kind of just dragged myself on the floor. Um, and it took mum kind of a year and a half for someone to listen to her. And then eventually she managed to get a uh, rheumatologist, uh, who's people who deal with like joints and things, to have a look at me. And he was like, oh, yeah, she's got arthritis. Mm. So since then, I've kind of accumulated different diagnosis when I was younger I was then diagnosed also with uh, some eye conditions that come along with the juvenile arthritis um so I've got uveitis and glaucoma and they kind of cause issues with my eyes um and I've I've been a, a four eyes since I was kind of four or five with big gold glasses yeah and I've just got contact lenses so um yeah but I've had those issues I've had uh surgeries for that as well like I know a lot of my classmates when I was younger um, I would have been what, like maybe 10 uh, when I went in for an eye surgery and all my friends were going, whoa, what, what's this? What are they doing? Um, and I said, yeah, they were, they're going to do this to my eye. And they were like, oh, wow. And all my teachers would be like, oh, you're so young. And I always get that. I get that a lot. It's yeah. like, oh, you're so young. Um, but you'd be surprised the amount of uh, people my age, even when I was younger, who were going through the same thing. And I think it's just not kind of spoken about as much and it's not brought into awareness about her. Uh, you know, young people can, can be chronically ill too. I think in the last kind of few years, a lot of awareness has grown on that with social media. It's got its downsides. But um, a positive thing is uh, people my age, teenagers, young adults, have, you know, created platforms 
uh, to spread awareness about these things, which is nice. Mm. Um, but yeah, over the years, I've accumulated more diagnoses of various various degrees. Um, yeah. And at the moment, I've got a list as long as my arm. But um, I have some of the things, I've obviously still got the uh, juvenile arthritis, which I'm on uh, infusions and injections and all that. I won't go into it. But um, different medications for the eye problems are still there. I've also got something called a new daily persistent headache syndrome, which no one has heard of, not even my mm. neurologist. Um, and he sent me off to a specialist and he was like, we don't know what's wrong with you, but we'll just stick this label on it. Um, yeah. And it basically means that I have a headache 24-7. So right now it looks like I'm, I'm perfectly fine, but I do have kind of a migraine all the time. So wow. right now I have a migraine. And um, yeah, that that was kind of, I think that's as, as big of an adjustment as I've had to make because I kind of one day I didn't have this big migraine and the next day I did and it never went away. So I think, you know, I missed a lot of school at that point. I had to do uh, my GCSEs at home um, and then integrate back into uh, sixth form for my A-levels. Um, and I think that was kind of the biggest change that my health made me go through in terms of like, okay, you, you've got this thing and now we've added another thing. And mm -hmm. um, so I've got that now. Um, I got uh, Botox injections for that a couple of weeks ago. And my friends were like, you're getting Botox? You don't have wrinkles. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, yes, it's just it's just that glamorous lifestyle. Um, but no, unfortunately not. That's the headaches. But yeah. it does mean that I won't have as many wrinkles, which I'm not mad about. There are perks <laughs> for being ill. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I've, I've kind of learned how to do things differently. And um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of things. I mean, even things like uh, at school, I'd miss a lot of school. I'd spend 50% of my time in and out of hospital. So I'd, mm -hmm. I'd miss a lot of lessons or maybe sometimes even whole days because some of my specialists are in London. Mm. So to go and see them, we'd have to travel. And then that would kind of, there's no point in coming back for kind of the last half an hour of the day. Yeah. Um, so I'd miss whole days of school. And I kind of got very good at independent learning from a very young age. Um so I'd do all my learning at home and mum, bless her, she's an angel, would help me and go through all my workbooks. I think she learned algebra the same time I learned <laughs> algebra. Um, and yeah, kind of independent learning was a big thing because again, some teachers were lovely. They'd, you know, send emails home. They'd go, okay, this is how we do this. And so, you know, but mm -hmm. then some teachers wouldn't bother and they'd be like, yeah, this is the work, go yeah. have fun with it. Um, so yeah, I had to learn to, to learn on my own. And that then came as an mm. unexpected uh benefit when i ended up having to do my gcses at home mm -hmm. um most pupils get six hours a day ish at school um with my tutorer who they'd sent via the council that they had to send one she was lovely but i only got six hours a week with her mm. um and everyone else had two years to do their gcses because i was in hospital for a lot of it i ended up i don't think i ended up getting back to school in until kind of a year in so I had a year to learn all of my subjects and then only six hours a week and I think that's when the independent study really came in handy because then yeah. I, I managed the TCSE to move on to my A-levels so um yeah that it's just different ways of doing things I suppose and and finding things that you can do rather than things you kind of can't do which I'm still guilty of wanting to do something you know oh I can't do it because I'm not this this and that and dwelling mm -hmm. on it yeah. and I think it's it's perfectly healthy to do that i think you should feel those emotions and, and be angry and be sad mm. because i think there's no point in trying to hold that back because it, it just it's to your detriment so i think the key is to feel those feelings and say yep no i'm angry i'm frustrated i'm not happy about this and then just go okay i accept the fact that i feel that way 
now what can we do about it kind of thing which is why I got into music as well a massive part of my life has been music yeah. um a lot of that I, I can do I, I couldn't really do sports um I don't think I would have been a sporty person anyway to be honest but who, who knows in another life well you did um, horseback riding I, well, I, I, I did That's which is amazing I, I suck royally at sports at school but that was the one thing I could say yep I can do that that's a physical activity um but with that as well um as I was younger I think I had more problems with my joints now I have more problems with my headache um but there's always going to be times that I say oh no I can't go riding because something Mm. hurt um and I think again when I was younger I used to get a lot more frustrated about that I think now I've kind of got to the point I still get frustrated everything that's normal but um to then go okay I'm frustrated. It's annoying, but okay. What else can I do? That even is it just kind of horse related kind of thing? Like, what can I do? Can I? I kind of made a, a special. My yard, my stables near me. They're brilliant. The the ladies who own the uh, God given, um, and they let me come up and just maybe you know groom a horse or just have a pony cuddle for half an hour if I can't yeah. come up and actually work or ride which has been brilliant. I know not everyone gets that opportunity. So uh, yeah, it's been great. And things like my music as well. Uh, I originally, when I was younger, was going to play the violin, um, which I think mum is quite pleased that I didn't come home as a beginner with a squeaky violin, you know, keeping everyone up half the night. Um, (laughs) But at that time, I think we started learning instruments around the age of seven. I think it was primary school. The music department came in and went, okay, pick an instrument. and at that point, that's when I, I picked the flute. I think when I was seven, I was kind of like, oh, it's shiny. Yeah, we'll have that one. Um, I didn't think too much of it. But originally, I was going to try maybe the violin or the cello. And the reason I didn't is because of my fingers. I have arthritis in my hands and my fingers. And playing a string instrument wasn't recommended for yeah. um, me and, and my issues. Turns out, flute isn't brilliant either because of my jaw. But now we we just <laughs> we ignore that. And we go, yeah, it's fine. Um but yeah, that's why I started playing that. And I, I have issues like my fingers will get cold and achy. So, you know, moving the buttons gets a little bit difficult, but mm-hmm. we get past that by wearing gloves. And like I rocked the whole kind of emo fingerless gloves for a bit because they, yeah. they worked my hands warm and they were fashion. So it was kind of <laughs> two in one. Um, and yeah, just trying to find ways to adapt uh, to, to what I'm doing so I can still do things um but maybe I, I just have to do them a little bit differently which sometimes gets looks and stares i have to uh, use a wheelchair sometimes um yeah. which throws people because they'll see me walking one day and then they'll see me in a wheelchair and go, oh my god what's happened if you've like broken something mm-hmm. and i'm like no i'm just having a rough day i need to use my chair and it, it takes that mm. whole explanation of oh well i've got this and like sometimes and there's always the like you'll be in the train station and uh i i get stiff a lot i've also got something called hypermobility uh, mm-hmm. which means things are too stretchy a lot of children will have it they'll have bendy limbs and all that they call it double jointed sometimes yeah. um but my hypermobility syndrome actually causes pain and causes things to dislocate and sublax and things so a lot of the time i'll get really stiff and i'll kind of look like an old woman hobbling about um so sometimes i'll be using my wheelchair to rest but then halfway through i'll go oh i really need to stretch i really need to get up and walk out and stretch things so i'll get out of my wheelchair and yeah. the amount of stairs and they look at me and go hang on a minute, she was just in a wheelchair and she couldn't walk and now she's walking around. And you'll get some funny stares, some funny comments. Mm. Um, and I think that's the difficulty of being someone who's kind of in the middle and isn't in a box necessarily. Also as yeah. well, there's a, a whole invisibility thing, like invisible illnesses. Uh, to look at me, I you know, look like a normal 
funny looking teenager kind of thing. You wouldn't suspect that I'd have anything necessarily physically wrong with me. Um, but under all of that, I, I'm in pain all the time. And, and a lot of times people don't necessarily realise that. And I think like if you want to ask for help, uh, both like for mental health, things like therapy, or even mm-hmm. just physical help, going to your doctor and saying, okay, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. Um, and I think because I've been doing it for so many years, I know a lot of people say I'd make a brilliant actress because I can kind of click my fingers and pretend I'm perfectly fine. I've kind of gotten into the art of doing that, especially yeah. with people I don't feel as comfortable being vulnerable around. I'll kind of go, yeah, everything's fine. I'm, I'm perfect kind of thing. Um, but then that can become a problem because people don't then take you seriously when you say, no, I am in pain. Yeah. Or getting mental health, they'll look at you and go, oh, no, you're fine. You seem to be coping. And I'm kind of like, well, I don't feel like I'm coping. Uh, so there, there are times when that happens. And even things like going, again, to public spaces and using the disabled toilet, for example. I've, I've been um, shouted at, basically, from toilet wow. staff at uh, our local train station. Um, because they've gone, no, you're not disabled. You can't use that toilet. And it's kind of like, what What do you want me to do? Kind of detach my arm and give it to you and go, there you go. Okay, now can I use the toilet? Um, because they think that you need a big label unless you're in a wheelchair or using a cane or whatever, um, that you're disabled. And I have to kind of politely explain. And bless that day, there were so many people coming to my aid, just random strangers, mm-hmm. which kind of makes you appreciate that. I know you were saying in your message about the sense of community. Yeah. Um, it was nice that in, in this day and age when everyone's kind of in their own bubble doing their own thing, um it was nice that when I was having an issue there I kind of I was almost in tears because I needed to go to the loo I couldn't use the other toilet because they get far too like low down for me and I can't get up it's a whole mess but um you know this guy was like no you can't use it you're lying and all of these lovely strangers complete strangers going about their commute then gathered around and said no excuse me sir disabilities can be invisible and started kind of like advocating for me and I that was really nice because you don't see that all the time Mm. and I I was quite touched about that and I did I did eventually use the blue if you were wondering um but um yeah just things like that it it can be a bit of a nightmare but um again you just find your ways around it I suppose I'm I'm I think some people might call me determined some people might call me stubborn um but that is one thing that I think I wouldn't have had if I maybe didn't have all these issues. Um, I am very determined. And if someone tells me I can't do something, that just gives me fuel to go, okay, I can do it kind of thing. Because yeah. my, like, my teachers said to me, there is no way you're going to get your GCSEs. Um, and at first they were only going to give me kind of the, the basic core English, maths and science. Mm-hmm. And I said, absolutely not. I want to go to university. Uh, you're going to have to give me a bit more than that. I pushed and pushed and pushed, and I managed to get my higher English, higher maths, triple sciences, and Spanish. And that was as much as I could get out of them. And they were like, oh, we don't think you... And I had six months to do what they'd done in two years, and with only six hours a week, and I managed to get A's and A stars. So that, if you could call it stubbornness, (laughs) but um, (laughs) that's, I think, one thing. But um, And again, to my detriment sometimes, because I will push myself too hard, and I'll end up paying for it. Um, yeah. Well, that's so, one of the questions I, I, I want to ask you is, um, do you think if you, because you said, you know, there's certain things you may not be able to do, and then you choose something else. But you talking about all the things you do, it's like you do, you could be home, like playing video games, but you're doing like so much. Do you think um, if you didn't have these health issues, if you'd be doing as much, it seems like you're, you have such a full 
full life and you're you're challenging yourself how much of the um the health conditions do you suspect maybe create this sort of challenge like you said this stubbornness or yeah i'm gonna try that you know and and, and do these things so yeah, i mean I it seems like a blessing as well yeah i don't think i would have done half of the things that i've done now i i do think stubbornness determination it's just you've told me i can't do it or someone has said that maybe this isn't a good idea so in my stubbornness i'll go oh, i'll give it a try then um so yeah it's, it's definitely kind of put that challenge aspect of life and i think as well it's kind of if i get an opportunity to do something and i'm not sure whether i can do it i'll always try because i kind of i know what it's like to not have that opportunity out of no fault of my own in a sense i don't have a choice that i can't do that thing so i think if yeah. i get given an opportunity to do something i jump on it because i kind of i I'd go yes i have the choice to do this so i'm, I'm gonna at least try it if it doesn't work out that's okay we move on but if it does I found something new and I've also got new opportunities from being ill. I mean, you, you find weird places that you, you, you know, I had a set route on life and then someone went, Oh, why don't you try this kind of thing? And it's taken me down paths. I, I don't think I would have done if I wasn't ill because hmm. I've met new people. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. You, you sort of embody this. Um, one of the themes uh, Ron and I talk about a lot is uh, going into, we call it the black hole of I don't know. So that mm -hmm. space of uncertainty, which it seems like you've been going into and, you know, most of your life, this, this place of, well, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm just going to jump off of that ledge and take a risk and see, see what happens. And uh I mean, it, 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 uh, how much of living with, um, these health conditions and, and, uh, has it, you just seem like a person with really great inner strength and, and it seems like you gather your sense of self from yourself because you've, you've had to, because you have your own unique way of, um, of showing up in life, you know, whereas someone else may just, well, I'll follow this path, you know, and uh, I'll just do what this person does. And, and, and a lot of times what happens is one ignores their authentic expression, whereas it seems like for you, you've had to sort of rely on that and get, I mean, has this helped you to connect more with this inner strength, this, this unique, authentic of, way of being? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do obviously have occasions where I, I kind of lose that sense of self. Um, and I, like I say, I, I had a very, very big fear of the unknown when I was younger. And I, I still do occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd hate change. I'd hate kind of going into something and not knowing. But I think because of all of my illnesses, I've, I've been forced to do it. I have no choice because you know, if I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If every morning I wake up and I don't know where my pain's going to be, if something's flaring, if, you know, I have a migraine and I can't get out of bed. Um, so every day I, I wake up not knowing what's going to happen. And I'm, I could spend the day and be absolutely fine and go Christmas shopping, or I could end up in accident and emergency because I have like an asthma attack or something. But I honestly have lived life now every day not knowing. And I think that's kind of given me reassurance almost that that's okay we can you know we don't know but that's okay we'll just go where the river takes us kind of thing yeah. um and i think 
it's yeah it's through the force of having to do that that I've been able to kind of get that strength and find myself and at the end of the day the only person you have is yourself yeah so if you can't be yourself um and and find strength through that you're going to struggle because you know if you hold on to other people and you go okay I'm going to use this person as my anchor this person as my other anchor if these people disappear which oftentimes you know being ill you lose friends you you lose family ties you, you lose people you talk to and connections um then you're left without anyone and thank god i've got a rock in my mum because she's absolutely brilliant i cannot say enough yeah. good words about her um but you also need that inner strength because at times you know no one's going to know what you're going through even people who have the same illnesses as you they they don't experience exactly what you're going through and that's true for everybody um but especially when you're in pain it can get difficult to go oh no one else gets it no one else understands what pain i'm in and when they say oh why didn't you just do this why didn't you just do that mm. they don't understand that no it's not that simple and i am in a lot of pain right now um so i think being able to have a conversation with yourself almost um is quite nice and i think uh, at first i was scared of that because i thought i'd look like i belong with a loop <laughs> literally talking to myself i've been, um, there. I've been uh, yeah there. no I, I honestly have conversations out loud with myself me sometimes too. <laughs> must say it's like people if people would see me out they think oh my word what's wrong with this one um but it's true i mean like um again i've seen it more now because there's such a big presence on mental health now which is brilliant but people will journal or write things down you know bullet mm. journaling is a, is a massive thing now and it's it's essentially the same thing it's, it's having a conversation with yourself um and kind of talking to yourself and finding your inner strengths and inner weaknesses and working on both of those individually um and then using that to then face the unknown as such because if you, if you don't yeah. know you kind of can't change it my mom always used to drill into me the prayer of serenity um, ah. and kind of yeah it's a massive huge thing in this household um, is it the serenity prayer like god grant me the serenity is it that yeah. one or okay it's that one, yeah. It's the, yeah. The, god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change uh the courage to change things i can and the wisdom to know the difference yeah i love that um, one and i myself i'm not like hugely religious in the sense that, like i do i don't go to church or anything i kind of label myself as a as a kind of agnostic not sure <laughs> but um i do love like looking at these and I, it interests me looking at different religions looking at different like the things like paris frankie and, and things like this because um, mum is a christian um and it's really helped kind of that mantra as such has got me through so much because it's kind of like okay why waste energy on things that we can't change it is just pure and my friends get so annoyed when i say that so i'm like oh God, i'm gonna stress about this anyway and they they yeah and when i was younger i used to say the same thing to my mom i'd go oh what do you mean except the things you can't change oh i'm gonna stress about it anyway um and i still do <laughs> but it's it's nice to be able to repeat that and go okay i can't change this nothing i do is going to change it so i'm just wasting my energy and, and wasting what i could be doing yeah. on something that i can't change so okay recognize that this is a thing this is happening leave it alone we can have emotions about it we can be frustrated or angry or sad or upset about it and that's okay feel those feelings but then channel your energy and channel all of that energy into something positive or something you can change yeah. or you know, things that will impact that later on you know things like that uh, I, so, I gotta yeah. say I, i'm just feeling so envious now that you're way more i'm like three times your age and you're way more mature no i, I have my moments you have so much wisdom <laughs> oh my gosh um 
<sighs> there was there was something else. Uh, uh, and Ron, chime in, you know, whenever you want. Yeah, it's just um, Tanisha. It's just the I'm really in awe of the maturity and wisdom. So, and just that you're able to you're able to sit there and look at the frustrations, look at the anxieties, look at the what's going on and not let it kind of control you, but to see the feelings as they are. I think that's an extraordinary, even like kind of superpower, a gift that you have at such an early age. And um, even in that, um, as Ade says, we can spend decades working on this. And the fact that you do that, it's extraordinary because I think as well, for other people to to see you, it's such a lesson for us all as well, that that you're able to come across to have these illnesses and live in pain, but to see it. And there may be days when you're down, but you see the downness and you still do it anyway. Yeah, And I find that's really um, extraordinary and beautiful and and it's a kind of a spiritual way human you're human, fully human you've embraced the good you embrace the not so good but you're still living and what Addy and I talk about as well is we're always learning absolutely yeah, yeah. and also the other thing that's really I'm I'm so like it's a miracle to have two British accents on the podcast at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the odd one out today, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but uh, in, in, um, ah, I just have to take a breath sometimes. <laughs> uh, the, the theme is seeing and some, something that you, that you said was sometimes People don't see because you're you're a lot of your pain and the health issues are, you know, the the term invisible um, because other people may not be able to see it. And therefore, they may say, hey, just do this or just do that. So they're not having that experience, that direct experience that you're having. And, um, you know, they're looking at it from from the outside. And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of, of what's going on in our world. We're so quick to judge other people. Um, there's a lot of division. There's a lot of, like, tribalism and, you know, we'll pick this side. And there's these, this other side, they're a bunch of idiots. They don't know. And no, this side is the, is the idiot. And... You know, we're not experiencing what the other person is experiencing, and we're so quick to judge and and condemn. And I think one thing that's important for me is as a collective, as other humans, and this is why we're doing this podcast, is to get other perspectives, other experiences. It's to not to avoid conflict. But to, as the scientist Bo Lado says, um, approach uh, conflict with another person, but with the intention to learn, to be open. Well, what can I get from this conversation? What can I learn? Not how can I convince the other person to see 
it my way. And so I think that's just really important. And um, yeah, and thank you for adding your perspective, because, you know, like I said, you know, for those of you, pretty much everyone <laughs> doesn't know that we're cousins. And uh, so I haven't seen you since you were like five. And I didn't have this full perspective, you know, um, of who you are and what you're doing and to witness such growth and, 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 um, your experience, you're like, I'm still thinking of you as the five-year-old <laughs> and now you're this wise woman with, you know, like all of like so much to share and to bring to the world. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful and brilliant. And thank you for joining us today. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. It was an honor. It was almost a therapy session in a way. But um, yeah. no, I, I love you know, hearing other people's opinions. And I think people these days are, are so scared to be wrong about something or to say they don't know. Mm. And no, I love just sharing experiences and learning from each other. I, you you never, ever stop learning. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a pleasure to be on. Yeah, the pleasure is ours. Thank you. And um, let's see. Ron, any? Tanisha, um, just one more thing about the power of empathy, I guess, that understanding other people. Could you just talk about empathy? Because you're able to see the world through your eyes, which many people don't see through you, through yours. And I guess that gives you the opportunity to understand other people. Yeah, I think, I mean, Again, going back to kind of the community thing, um, not just me being ill myself, but also coming into contact and, and being able to talk with people who are also ill, um, you kind of gain a lot of information uh, about how not only, you know, what's actually wrong with people, you know, wrong with people, um, but also how they're feeling about it. And um, I think you can then use that. It's, it's kind of almost building your own toolkit. Uh, of your thoughts and your feelings about things and then learning from other people about their thoughts and feelings about things and again because I'm sick I've had the opportunity to meet so many wonderful people who are also sick um, and share experiences with them and kind of make that toolkit um, to then use you know with with random strangers that you meet or making new friends and I think it's really important to be kind of empathetic of, of other people and kind of I, I know um, one of my I've I've seen a therapist. I think it's really good to see a therapist. Um, I think everyone should see a therapist if they can. Um, but she said that, well, she called me an empath, which um, I kind of, I take with pride in a, in a sense, because I, I'm proud to know that I can be empathetic towards people and, you know, teach people about, you know, how to be less judgmental and how to kind of walk in someone else's shoes. Uh, and I do think that is really important because you never know what's happening. You know, it's kind of like you don't know what's happening behind someone else's door and behind their eyes. Um, so just always be kind kind of thing, because like I say, me being kind of having that invisible illness, um, people will talk to me and, and be happy and whatever. and I'll be smiling, um, but they don't realize that I'm in pain. So I then recognize that, OK, there's going to be other people out there who are in the exact same boat that are going through something whether it's uh, a physical illness a mental illness uh, family problems money problems whatever it doesn't matter um but they're always going to have issues so you know treat them with kindness and and know that I, I want everyone to kind of know that if people need to unload or chat to someone or you know just have a rant and just 
for me to listen. I'm here. Um, and my messages are always open and I can be a bit rubbish at replying because I've, I've got all sorts going on too, but I'll, I'll try my best to kind of be empathetic towards that person and, and say, okay, unload, it's fine, no judgment here because I, I know what it's like to feel judged and I know what it's like to kind of have someone come up to me and assume that they know everything. Um, so I, I kind of just want to be the opposite of that kind of negative space and, and kind of create a place that's open and not necessarily positive, because uh, like I say, all feelings should be felt, but somewhere that's safe, I suppose. Um, and yeah, just one of those things is, is being empathetic and, and trying to teach other people the importance of being empathetic and non-judgmental, hmm. I think. Yeah. And what are you doing now in terms of life and, you know? That is my favorite question because uh, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. That's one of those things. Um, no, I was talking about this with my with my boyfriend the other day because we met uh, some of his family and they, they all had the same question. They all had, the, oh, what are you doing now? Yeah. Um, and I had this massive plan when I was younger. I was one of those kids who was, I was a bit of a teacher's pet. I feel like people probably felt like I was really annoying as a primary school kid because I was always there like, oh, what's the homework? And, you know, all this rubbish. <laughs> but um, I, I had a plan. I had a plan. I was like, I'm going to get my GCSEs. I'm going to get A's and A stars. I'm going to get my A-levels. I knew exactly which subjects I was picking since like the age of 10. Um, I knew what unis I was going to go to. I wanted to be an equine veterinary surgeon. That was like my thing. Um, and I was going to go into surgery and I was going to be a really cool, like, yeah, equine veterinary surgeon. Um, and then I very, very quickly learned uh, that that is not the case at all. Life does not pan out the way you want it to. Mm. and uh the forces decide to just throw a load of stuff on me and go no that's not that's not the path we're taking today um and through that I kind of had to learn to adapt uh as as the wise bear grills once said improvise adapt and overcome um <laughs> and kind of go through life going okay let's not make a plan just yet so I kind of I did my A levels um I got my A's and that kind of thing. And then I kind of had a bit of a drop in health. I had to have a few surgeries done and I kind of was like, okay, let's see what courses I can do. And then over time, I've just had more and more kind of come up with things like surgeries, health stuff. So I haven't actually, I've been out of sixth form for three years. I sh should have graduated university. The term just finished in September. So the, the summer just gone. That was my year's graduation year from university. Um, and I haven't kind of, done anything as such I haven't I I you know I people say have you been to school have you done uni have you done work whatever and I kind of have to go no I haven't really done anything um but then again kind of through that year even though I've had kind of surgeries and health stuff and spending weeks in hospital whatever I've kind of done little bits and bobs here and there so kind of I joined uh there's each borough in England has their own music service and it's kind of a council-run thing um, and a lot of the teachers will kind of go into schools. They were the people who came into our school and said, look at these instruments, pick one. And I went, oh, shiny flute, let's do that um, back mm -hmm. in the day. But they also run after school clubs and things like that. So I then joined uh, their kind of after school orchestra as a kind of uh, like young leader slash staff slash kind of plays whatever part I need to play kind of thing. Um, and through that, I then got into their concert band and their jazz orchestra and their percussion thing. And I met like a, a teacher who I didn't realize his wife worked at the next door school. So it's a small world. Um, and we've become really, really good friends. And he's teaching me drums, um, which is great. I'm now in the percussion orchestra. 
we've got concerts going on. So I've kind of done that as well. I spent a lot of time at the stables, kind of doing horsey bits and bobs, um, kind of online stuff, just learning as well, weirdly, Mm -hmm. random things. Like you go down a rabbit hole on YouTube and you learn about like prehistoric sharks, which is something you'd like never, (laughs) you know, but you end up in that rabbit hole and you go from learning about like radioactive things to sharks to, to... why the world is the way it is to why cats were worshipped in Egypt that, that sort of thing like you, you go down that hole and you end up learning things um so yeah I've just been doing that and then also um my boyfriend is a producer and he's another musical person um so he produces music he's also got his own projects he's an artist as well um and recently I've been helping him on, on things about that we did a photo shoot and I, I got my proper DSLR camera out and, and took some photos for him and uh, I went on a work day with him literally the other day and, and filmed some behind the scenes for it while he was having his photo shoot and stuff. So I've kind of just been doing bits and bobs that my body can do and mm-hmm. I can allow myself to do without kind of conking out, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then also focusing on self-care and mental health. Because I think after my A-levels, I did a big dip in mental health and I didn't, you know, when you get so negative, you forget to look after yourself in not just the mental ways, but just the physical ways, things like Mm -hmm. brushing your hair, taking a shower, doing a face mask, that sort of thing, lighting a candle, reading a book, that sort of thing. And I've really fallen off that train because I had so much time put into working uh, that then over the years, I've then had to kind of gather that all back up and go, okay, let's make a plan and kind of do my little daily routine um to help me feel better which in turn helps with my illnesses and coping with those and my medications and all that Mm. so it's been kind of a big big journey and to what I don't know I people say do you know what you want to do next and the art of my life is is saying I don't know (laughs) but I'll take whatever comes at me and whatever opportunities and yeah pursue things that pop up kind of thing so yeah yeah. (laughs) a lot of I don't know the I'm still learning and the I don't know yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) And, uh, <laughs> uh, before before you leave, just some comments from Facebook because we're on Facebook Live. Uh, your aunt, your auntie Lydia, said, uh, "Great to see you, love. Uh, your performance Hi, was auntie. terrific. <laughs> this is all from your aunt. I'm so I'm so uh, proud of you, Tanisha." Oh, Holly Robinson, Robinson, that's uh, my cousin, said, bless you. Michael uh, Keefe? Keefe? That's, that's my boyfriend. Keith. Okay, am I pronouncing <laughs> Keefe? Keefe, okay. Uh, a, 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 a hand clapping and a heart and proud of you. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much for, for, uh, for joining us today. Uh, thank this you, was Tanisha. wonderful. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so Thank maybe you, you could join again everyone. sometime. Yeah. Absolutely. All it's right. It's been a pleasure. Same here. Take care. You too. <laughs> Bye. 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 Okay. Adam, yes. What a remarkable conversation. She's like a force. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a force. Very inspirational. And to to be able to go through these things and also speak so honestly and openly about it. Yeah. I think it's very uh, fortunate to be able to have these types of conversations. Mm. And she's picked up at such an early age as well, many of the concepts that we've spent weeks talking about, you know, in our conversations. (laughs) 
the emphasis on the black coal of I don't know. What about in some spiritual practices is, oh, just be aware to the moment. But she has to live that way. Exactly. Yeah. She has to live that way. Yeah. And I'm still learning because she doesn't know if she, has, she can go to school tomorrow. She doesn't know what she can. So everything is, is always still learning. How is my body going to be today? Yeah. I don't know. Learn about that. <sighs> it, it, it was, it was, yeah, everything we've, we've been talking about in our conversations, um, she pretty much encapsulated all of it. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it uh, it just goes to show you that life can be the greatest teacher and but life and also we have choice and there's perspective how we look at uh things and there's support as she said support from her mom support i'm sure from the different doctors and different ways that she got it well also having to have you know it's funny when she says when she said i talk to myself out loud as you i think i probably tell you this i've been doing this lately for a month i go in front of the mirror and i talk to myself and i i have those thoughts where am i am am i like people are gonna think i'm crazy and and she's naturally has been doing this to sort of um the way i perceive it to strengthen that um inner resolve and and that to 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 gain that sense of strength and sense of self from from within um to trust it and to have that that dialogue rather than to be overly reliant on outside people and you know who have their perspective and we'll say, well, no, why don't you just do this? Well, well, then you can, oh, well, maybe they're right. But your gut, your soul, your intuition is saying, no, like, this is right for you. And so she's having these dialogue. And I'm just like 44 years old and getting in touch with this. And she, so one could look at the health issues as being, um, you know, um, something that is uh, a negative or you know um oh no you know look at she has to deal with all these things but i see it as such a a blessing because look at where isn't that what we're all essentially after you know um uh that that there's a certain freedom there you know although she may not be able to do certain things physically there's a certain freedom to even to open to the emotions and she says said it so naturally like yeah i just open to the i just feel whatever is here and process them and yeah some things i can do and, and there's other things i can do and yeah you know I don't know what's going to happen, but I just still do it anyway. 
you know. Yeah, she said, even though she said there were some things she can't do, she left the door open in the I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So maybe tomorrow she might feel a different way. And I think so, no door is ever closed. The opportunities in different forms will arise. Um, meeting different people. And you know what's really interesting as well? When she said that um, when she wanted to go to the toilet and it was complete strangers who supported her. Yeah. And how important that was. So when we meet people on the street, we don't know who they are. DF, we can have profound effects just by simple things. Mm. Just by giving us support. Now, these people, we don't know who they are, but today on this podcast, they were remembered. Today on this show, they were spoken about. And the fact that she can recall it means it means something really extraordinary that their simple gesture became something humongous. Mm. And that's just helping someone go to the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. And and it goes back to the theme of seeing. So to get outside of the maybe there is sorry, like if you walk around um Manhattan, you know, there's something called like mob mentality, you know. Um <sighs> So one person may say, you know, um, you, you may see a homeless person or someone begging for money. And one person may say, oh, look at look at them. I've had people say this to me, like someone would ask me for money and, you know. And then they may ask the other person and then when the, when when they leave, the person standing next to me will look at me and like, oh, look at that that person you know kind of and that's a perspective and i can tell i wonder do they really feel that or is it just that it's become the norm this way this place of where they feel this safety and connecting with me what i may feel is acceptable like i'm supposed to play put on the mask and yeah look at this person must be which i didn't which i didn't do <laughs> You know, it was like I because I, I saw that. And, you know, we can kind of get stuck in that sort of bubble. If we can take a pause and step out of that for for a moment and really feel like what a and that like go going back to what Tanisha said, like, go within. You know, how do I really feel about that? You know, and, and and that's where you can get in touch with your the empathy instead of sort of um mm, I think it, a good deal sometimes we just ignore that empathetic part. We don't allow ourselves to to feel it. <sighs> and we don't know another person's story. Yeah. We don't know how that person got to that place. You know, lots of us have been fortunate to grow up in a house with running water, 
mm. with her p- parents go to school. Yeah. And we don't realise because maybe where we live, how for some people that is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. That is huge. And, you know, walking past that person, you may not give money. That's how you want it. But if we're there without the, the judgments of uh, why they there, because we don't know. Mm-hmm. And that person could be a master at something. Yeah. It could be ex- extraordinary. In fact, you know what? Let's take away could be a master or, or extraordinary. There is no human being that's not extraordinary. Yeah. We can all do but just that certain circumstances that we've gone through have put us into situations that we are now. Mm. And um, Tanisha's way of looking at things, you know, seeing from a different perspective um, and maybe seeing that in the other person. Yeah. And for that, we, we have to, if we do that ourselves, we have to bypass our prejudices, hmm. bypass our concepts and ideas, bypass what we think we know, and just stop and look for a second. Yeah. And when our judgments come up, which our conditioning may bring about, or this person, can we stop and see it? Just like Tanisha said, the frustrations come up. Can we stop and see it? Yeah. There's this um, art that we can learn. You remember, look, we talked about the film, The uh, Dead Poet Society, when the Robin Williams character asked the, the student to stand on the chair. And just something small like that, and we spoke about maybe standing under our own uh, our own table in the kitchen, yeah. and just seeing our room and our house from a different perspective. Uh, going out and turning the way your head is, or lying on the floor, or being on your back, looking at mm. things from a different perspective. See through another mind, body's eyes. Yeah. I wonder how it feels like in this situation. Hmm. And, and we have plenty of opportunity to do that with ourselves too. I think part of the judgment of, of others, and not just others, judgment on the world, on what we see, on nature, like you said, that these concepts that we have um, absorbed, we don't have any clue what it really is. If, if, if I'm honest about it, I don't know shit. You know, I, I was sitting out in, in nature the other day, and I just realized I, like, before I would say I don't know, and it was an intellectual sort of masturbation. Uh, but the other day I was in nature and I said, oh, damn, I, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know, because it starts with with something that I was that I'm afraid to see here. Something comes up, there's fear, there's some emotion. 
And when we can take like take the risk, because I think I think at least for myself, we put it in a category into this uh, box of certainty. So the brain will say, well, this is what this is, because there is this fear, you know, it, it might basically like fear of death, you know, like, oh, this is going to kill me. But then if we could just give a moment and just say, okay, go ahead, ki- kill me. Like, let's, let's really see what it is. Like, and not kill me, just I, I really don't know what it is. Invite it. What is this that is here? Feeling it, feeling the sensation, feeling it in the body. What is it that is here? And then what came was, I don't, I don't know. Because it's whatever is going on here, I sort of project that outward. Whatever mechanism is working within here, I use that with the so-called external world. And I say, I use the word phrase so-called deliberately, you know, because what is the internal and, and external? I don't know, <laughs> but, you know, and so what I notice is I will, I will judge myself and others as, you know, it's just a habit, you know, it's just a habit, a, a way of something that was, that was learned to, to like a way of, this is the way that I feel like I need to navigate the world, to get along in the world. But, but then questioning it and seeing, uh, is, is it true? And uh, I mean, that's one of the, the, I think, one of the great things about being human and being alive is we are kind of like, we get to be like our own sort of science, scientists and we can use ourselves and everything around us to learn and to explore. You know, I mean, one of the, I forget who sent it. You might have sent it or someone sent it. Um, I think it, it was a, uh, I forget what, what scientist. It was a physicist. Oh, Neil Negrice, ne- Negras Tyson. I forget his name. Negrice Tyson. I'm pr- pronouncing it incorrectly, but... He said, and, and I, I, I posted something similar, and, I, and I'm just realizing I got it from him. But he said he was watching a mother and her child walk down the street. And as they were walking down the street, he saw they were walking towards a puddle. It was raining. It was this big, the child was like three years old. And there was this big, juicy, muddy puddle. And he said out loud, he said, please let the child (laughs) jump in the puddle, please. Because he could see the child wanted to jump in the puddle. And what happened is the mother grabbed the child and pulled the child away from the puddle. And I've done that too with my kids. Don't jump in the puddle (laughs) because the consequences are too great. I mean, you will get your clothes wet, you know, and, um, 
And so what, what he said is that kind of kills the child's curiosity. I mean, that's how they learn. They get that's physics right there. They jump in the puddle. They see how gravity works. They see, you know, how propulsion works. Um, you know, how the the water splashes up and gets them wet, and then they feel the temperature, they feel the texture, and they are um they are uh experiencing a, a life, they are you know, relating to life in a different way. And it's, you know, directly, not the, not, but instead they're getting the message, avoid curiosity, avoid that. That's, that's dangerous, you know, and, and then we, we continue to do that to, to kids. And when it's passed down, it becomes such an integral part of our uh, survival mechanism and what makes us feel safe that we don't even bother to ask if it is really um, beneficial, mm. you know, if, if like, or, or if, it, if, if, if it actually is detrimental to one's authentic expression and one's curiosity, you know, we usually don't even stop to think that. And then it happens on a global level to the point of like, like you were sharing with me the other day, we're kind of walking around the supermarket like sheep going down the aisles that, you know, now we're being controlled by marketers, by advertisers, by it's all the same sort of thing, you know, because we're 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 not questioning. We're not allowing our curiosity to thrive. We're not allowing ourselves to to try something different, to go into that place of, I don't know, like Tanisha is doing, you know, we don't allow that many of us, we, we latched on to a tribe, you know, Republican, Democrat, this or that. And we don't question our biases, you know? Um, and, and then what happens is we don't expand. We don't, we don't let in the, when we're not expanding, we're not letting in other perspectives. We're not we're not letting in the intelligence of the geese of of nature. You know, I mean, beyond concepts. You know, going into that place and feeling it fully, directly. And also, when we pull that child around the puddle we also instill in this child the fear of getting their clothes dirty. Yeah. So in future, in different activities, oh, I can't do that because I'm going to get dirty, I'm going to get wet, or it's raining, let me... So we instill this kind of uh, fear, a fear of, you know, a fear of, let's try something a bit different. Let's try... Let's explore, because I think what he says there, we're all born natural scientists and artists. Yeah. We're all born that, because you see with every child, they're picking things up and they put in there something on their head or they put something in their mouth. Yeah. That's, what, that's what they do. What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What does it... Then we grew up in these kind of uh, systems and the, teachers, the teacher tells us what to do. And our parents, <laughs> what 
So we give up and then we kind of, we, rather than set down our own tracks, we get onto an already made track with an already made train yes. and we get on it. Yes. And then this way goes down, but it's somebody, but inside, I think we know it's not our tracks. Yeah. We didn't lay them and it's not our train. We didn't build them. Mm. And it's somebody else's. Yeah. And the driver is somebody I don't even know. No. <laughs> so can we get our own tracks, get our own train, and drive the train ourselves? That is a, I would say, being a human being. Yes. And while you're laying down the tracks, you're laying it down and you're, you don't know where you're going. Like Tanisha said, we're in the unknown, but this part, let me turn left here and right here and you're driving it and you're doing this thing. And what's happened as well, along the way, you're learning skills that you didn't even know they were skills for. Mm. You're learning ways of being that you didn't know they were actually ways of being. Yeah. And you're meeting people who you never previously would have met. Yes. This show entirely, we talked about having a flute player, having a harp player. So what happens? You meet your, your cousin who you haven't spoken to in years. We learn about the story. I'm here in London. She's in England as well. We're learning about this. Mm-hmm. Um, open our eyes to a different way of seeing, of being. Yeah. So what have we learned? We've learned that, you know, if we maybe put something out there, something extraordinary might come of it. We didn't know, Adam. Hmm. We didn't know what was going to come, who we were going to meet. But if we go that step, and maybe we're going to learn something. Yeah. So let's go next time. And when we're doing the mundane task, let's go to the supermarket and and we talked about taking a meditation. Let's do it in the supermarket and look. Let's not go down the always the same aisles, picking up our cookies or your <laughs> our biscuits. There's nothing else. Yeah, let's go down different aisles and maybe even stop before you go in. And let's look. Yeah. See the different people. Notice the person, the cashier. A lot of times, you know, we see these cashiers, but we don't see them. Mm-hmm. We go past, we don't see them. Yeah, They're invisible. It's probably that if you were to ask 100 people, the, the cashier who's, who, um, who um, took their, um, their produce and their change, they probably wouldn't even know what their cashier looked like. Mm. How are you today, Miss uh, Miss Cashier, Miss Judy, Miss Miss Quabina, Mister Quabina? How are you today? It's a tiny thing, isn't it? Yeah. But it's uh, it's extraordinary. 
It is. It's seeing, seeing, just like the uh, the the homeless person that we may walk by, and like you said, we may choose not to give uh, him or her money. But in either case, what I make a point to do is to see him, to look, and to to to. I see you. I'm choosing no at this moment. You know. I don't have any money, but I see you. And there's this human connection, you know, not homeless person. There is this, there is this feeling like there is, there is connection. And a lot of times that's what a lot of people in in terms of a majority, a good amount of people that are homeless, they have dealt with um, some of them, psychological issues and <clears throat> excuse me and things like of that nature but a lot of it um there was drug use and and things like that and and usually when when someone is dealing with addictions and things of this nature they have experienced trauma um they they have a deep sense of not belonging you know, and being homeless for a while, you 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 start to think that you're not even part of society. That society doesn't even look at you as um, uh, with any value because you're not producing <laughs> the way that you know that other people are producing. You're not um, providing you know uh, more of the status quo. You know, um, you're supposed to be showing up in in this way you know but it's really a what they are really showing us is the um the results of the way our society is functioning and 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 it's not functioning well it's not functioning in a healthy way so what they're doing is just highlighting that society is not functioning in a in the way that in the way that it could function, you know? Um, so yeah, seeing that and, and recognizing, uh, seeing the other person, seeing the cashier, seeing your parents and not just as the idea of mom, the history, mom is this or that, but do we see them as, uh, a, a um a being a human being you know that can be a tough one you know some of the the greatest meditations is um spending time with family connecting with family because that's when all of our prejudice and biases come up you know and and if you notice a lot of family are believe in the same political system. <laughs> and that's not by accident, you know. It's, it's this way of of being, you know. Um, yeah. Because I think we spoke about this before, we create images of people. Yeah. And so somebody may have changed completely, but we still have an image of them. Mm-hmm. So in fact, we're imprisoning them into our little box of this is who they who they are, yeah. rather than letting them be who they really are. Mm. So I guess one of the things that we do here as well is that to 
when we're speaking to allow ourselves to be who we are. And tomorrow we may have learned something new. We have grown in a sense. We have found out something new. Oh, so not to bring what I knew about you here right now, but what is Ede saying today? Yeah. And the philosopher teacher, is it Joy the Growing? She said something that, you know, that, um, so when you see sometimes, you know, black people go down the road in London, New York, we do a nod to each other. Yeah. You yeah. nod. So, yeah. <laughs> and my girlfriend, <laughs> she would say, you know, do you know him? And he said, no, we just nod. <laughs> and what Joy DeGroy said is, the nod is, I see you. Yes. It goes back, but we don't know. We just, we just, we just something we do. So you go to Italy, I go to Italy, and you see another black guy. You know, you don't know, but it's, and it means, I see you. Yeah. You've been seen. Which is why the, terrorism of solitary confinement is probably one of the worst things to do to a being. Mm. A human being. And also we see the effects of solitary confinement or being confined on the animals in a zoo. We see that. Yeah. I think with mind bodies that designed to be maybe to be seen and appreciated and then we look at it and we see the connection and then there's actually oneness in how we coordinate ourselves in this life as an actuality not as a concept yeah as an actuality i mean that's that's i think that's what tanisha brock brought to the show is she is like the the theme of our 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 last podcast bringing the meditation out of the studio and into life so she is bringing it into life it's not just a uh, philosophy or kind of you know um some talk or anything like that yeah you know She didn't come with it, with the the jargon that we've heard. Yeah. She spoke about it in actual terms. And do you know what? Sometimes I find that we come across people in life. And she said, I think her mum was religious, but she's not so. But her way of being seemed to be a very deep and profound way of being. Yeah. I don't even want to label it spiritual. Just deep and profound way of being, which is the ideas that religion and spirituality and non-duality have been looking at. But she's not labelled it. She's still saying, I don't know. But her way of being is that. Yeah. Her sitting with her emotions and feeling them is that. Awareness, aware of the body, awareness, aware of the feelings, awareness, aware of seeing. Yeah. She didn't put it in those ways, but she did it as an actuality in her life. Yeah. We asked her to come on and play the flute. She said she hadn't played in ages. 
I don't know, it was nervous, but she came on and played. Mm-hmm. She shared what she's uh, what she what, what she does. Oh, I can't do it today. I'm not sure. Maybe she had those thoughts, but you know, she played it. Yeah. What a wonderful way to also bring something fresh into what we're talking about as well. Yeah. So can we look at ways of seeing? Can we be even be aware of seeing itself? You posted something and it says that our eyes have been tuned into this kind of three-dimensional reality. Maybe we're not seeing all that's out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe be aware of the actuality of seeing. Be aware of hearing, being aware of touching, feeling. Mm. Being aware of being aware. Being aware of being aware. <sighs> and this morning, I will say this now. So yesterday we had this conversation and you would do some chanting. Yeah. And uh, I sent you a voice message. Mm-hmm. And uh, this morning I wake up and there's this thing that you've posted with the geese. Yeah, and I just don't know how you even did that. Yeah, and it's you know it's just you know we had this conversation and it comes up and then you put it together and it comes in a way that um, I had never even dreamed about it because we were just speaking, having a conversation. I left you a message. Yeah. And so what's possible a day in what we can do or where we can go or anybody who's watching this, if we just open our minds to do new ways of looking and seeing things. Yeah, that's... You took yeah. a simple voice message and you changed it into something. Because mm-hmm. you saw it as not just a message, but maybe something that you can, that you can do. Yeah. You changed yeah. the ordinary and made it, I won't say extraordinary, but you made it, <laughs> <laughs> you made it <laughs> extraordinary, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you changed it. So I wake up with this smile and I play it and I say, wow, then what can we do? And then underneath it, you put some drums in it. And well, I didn't think of looking at it like that. Mm. So, so what have we learned even in that moment that maybe some of the simple things that we take for granted, if we look at it in a different way, we can, we can do it. And I think Tanisha said that, okay, I may not be able to do it this way, but if I look at it from a different angle, yeah, then maybe there is a possibility mm. that I, I can change I can change it. Mm, you know, it's, yeah. And even those, those sounds that I recorded at the, um, 
because what I do is I go out into the woods and I sit down and there's the geese and the the sounds I won't even call it chanting it's just the sounds were my communicating what was going on you know inside it was it was a it was a communicated it was a communication see what i got connected with at that moment was i always thought i had to communicate a certain way you know um growing up people said ade's very quiet he never talks you know my dad used to make my brother my older brother take me out to hang out with him and his friends to get me out of the house and my brother would complain and say well ade just doesn't say anything he just kind of <laughs> stares at the ground and uh my teacher said, well, is there something wrong with Ade? He doesn't speak in class. He just sits under the teacher's desk, you know? So, and then, you know, my dad being a professor, uh, being um, reading tons of book, books, he communicates and being a, a type A personality, he communicates in a certain way. And usually sons, they try to like mimic their their parents so you know this feeling that uh, there is the feeling that i'm supposed to express and communicate in this way but i always it always felt like it was a struggle and then my solution to the struggle was or my um answer to that was well it's because i haven't read enough books you know i need to look up i need to do this and that and the other but then when i was out there in nature what was coming out was it felt like the most natural way of me expressing. And I don't know who I was communicating to. <laughs> you know, I could, obviously I couldn't like sit, you know, in, in a podcast, just make those noises or, or, or you know, at a job interview or, or whatever. Uh, but it, I just realized this is my way of communicating. It felt like I went back to that place of, when you're a child and you don't have words and you're like, ah, go, 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 you know, just making these noises. And then we say, we give them, we feed them words. No, this is that. And so the child starts to identify, well, this is, and, and the first one is, uh, you know, mommy, daddy, you know, this is you, I, you know, there's, there's, and then we get this, there's others, and 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 this is cup, this is that, this, and then we start to form this reality. So, it it just made me realize that that I don't know that there is this voice I felt connected, and then when you left the message, it was just brilliant. The message I heard, like right after that, I was actually looking at the goose at the the geese when you were leaving the message as well and i thought wow this would i want to i want i want to see if i can put it together in a way that is that conveys sort of some of the experience that i'm having you know in in the moment so just kind of like putting this together somehow and um and yeah you know um our conversations and, and your way of going into the I don't know and trying new things, you know, um, 
before the thought was, I need to do things that um, are acceptable as a form of expression or a form of art or a form of creativity. It needs to fall into this category. So I start questioning myself, well, where are these bio, these prejudices coming from? Like this way of looking at art, of looking at it, at the way I express. And it's not, um, I wasn't born with it. It was something I was that, you know, was passed down, something that I, I learned. So even when I'm expressing in a certain way, like listening to the, that creation that we made, then listening to it is going to, it's, of course, the feeling is going to be, wait a minute, this is not how it's not in the correct tune, or it doesn't this or this and whatever, you know, and just noticing that awareness. So, okay, well, that's, that's there, you know, that's that, what I'm noticing is the judgment. You know, what I'm noticing is these biases, you know, so um, exploring something new, you know, exploring something um, fresh, you know, just for the sake of when my kids create art and create and play, it's not doing it so that they get a pat on the back necessarily, or until they learn that you can get a pat on the back, then they do it for the approval or a pat on the back. But we teach them that in school with the grading system, with the uh, competition, with all these other things. But animals, look at how animals play. They just play for the, the sake of playing. That's how they go into the I don't know. That's how they go into that place of uncertainty you know there's a book i read uh, many years ago it's called punished by rewards mm. by alfie con and it's he talks about how when we give gold stars stickers the medals to children it actually restricts them and they then do the task for the gold star and the sticker yeah. Rather than doing the task for the sake of doing the task. And we grew up with that. And then, you know, we still do, we still like our our stickers and medals, but when we get older, but we call them different things now. Yeah. We call them, oh, you know, OBEs or CBEs or knighthoods <laughs> or the gold medal. Oh, that's our sticker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we still like stickers, you know. Um, so, and I think, um, so, rather than doing it for the sake of doing it you know so if you play the guitar or you produce some art you know maybe it's not about wanting to be in an art gallery maybe you just like to paint but <laughs> of course the first person they say to you oh are you gonna put that for sale exactly yeah, yeah you know what you might do but in this moment in time i just like to paint and even if they did put it for sale and no one bought it, that's not a failure. Yeah. The fact that you created something and you pull it out there, I would say, firstly, is an extraordinary uh, success. Mm -hmm. 
That's a lot that many people, more than many people do. But we don't know what's going to happen to it in that painting in 10, 15, 20 years, or the person next to it yeah. hasn't come yet. <sighs> the person is really going to enjoy it. We haven't met them yet. Is it possible to see all these, to see all these concepts, ideas, these ways of being? Is it possible? See them all and look at them and see them for as they are. An old way of being that made that didn't provide a lot of happiness. Yeah a source of much trauma, a source of much destruction in the world environmentally. Can we look at it and see, rather than hang on to this old way of being, say, you know what? Some of the ideas and concepts didn't serve me, didn't serve the human being at all. Didn't serve my inner spirit, my inner tuition. I think that's a, um, I like to use the word radical. Maybe it's time for the radical. Yeah, maybe it's time for radical. I I think that's a a good word. That's the word that came up while you were talking. It's, yeah, I think it is time for the radical. If we want to... um, Make things better for the generations to come um, in terms of the environment and, and things like, like, do we even question some of the traditions that we we have and the effect that it's having on the planet and the, the human body? I mean, even with Christmas, um, tons of plastic toys, everything that's going to be thrown out and a lot of times people, I don't even know if they notice, they get stressed. Well, oh, it's almost, I got to get this. I got to get that for this person. Oh, I got a list. Oh, I didn't do this. Like just the stress and the pressure on the body and, and, and everything, everything else. Not that we shouldn't have occasions and holidays and things of that nature, but do we notice how it's been commercialized and how we're being influenced by marketing and, and everything else that's that's going on. But we just kind of, even the idea of sales, you know, sales is, is the biggest <laughs> illusion. That's the regular price. <laughs> the sale is the regular price. <laughs> if we look at the... Sometimes the insanity of it. So you will, so a present's been bought, it's been wrapped up with care, you put it under the tree, which is in your house for I don't know why. The next morning, they unwrap this thing that took you 10 minutes to, and they throw the paper away. So this thing, this paper was originally part of a tree somewhere, mm-hmm. which has been cut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, taken, made into a ribbon and to bit of paper and coloured to go around the present and it's used 
really. So the only time it's used is really is the time the person picks it up to look at the present yeah. and notices the wrapping paper. So how long is that? 10 seconds mm. in your hand, this paper form. Mm. Now it's thrown away and discarded. And I don't know about New York, but you go down London's streets on Christmas Boxing Day, there's streams of paper sticking out of bins. Yeah. And it's the insanity. And and the the pressure and the stress that many people go through of getting this or getting that. Yeah. Uh, It really is... um, Really is... um, Crazy. Imagine two horses <laughs> running together. Oh, 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 I wonder what I'm going to get you for, uh, for Christmas. Oh, I can't give you that. Oh, oh, I've got to wrap it up, your oats. <laughs> Let me get your oats and uh, wrap them up because otherwise it won't be a surprise if I don't wrap up your oats. We will say to the horses, what is wrong with you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so remember, it's just to, I think, when you stop, take a deep breath. Mm. Like Tanish was talking about. See what comes up. See the things that we've been tugged to go and pull out to buy. Just like, you know, the beep on the mobile phone. It's there for a reason. It's there to trigger. Yeah. I think it's the endorphins inside of you, so you go to the phone. If we can sit and watch, and when we go to a supermarket, sit and watch why that loaf of bread is on the third shelf from the left. It's there for a particular reason, to pull you in yeah. to purchase it. Or we go to the checkout at the end, and that chewing gum is there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, the, the, those sweets, the little cars, the magazines yeah. are there for a particular reason. Placed there by a guy who's paid millions of pounds a year because he knows a particular colour, particular shape, a particular sweetie. If you're walking around with a child with you, the child might say, Mummy, Daddy, can I have a sweet there? And you and many parents to keep them quiet, oh, yes, <laughs> you know, here you are. And that guy in a marketing department on the 10th floor of wherever he is, is doing mm-hmm. this. My yeah. job is done. Yeah. It, it is. I think the word that you used was, was great. It's, a, it's, a, it's insanity because it is destroying ourselves. It's destroying the, the world that we live in. Um, but but then we may say, well, this is the way our economy works. Where I mean, at least here in in the United States, you know, we developed the model years ago. I think it was in the uh, the the 80s, the um, consumption and throwaway model. So we need to consume. You know, this was the great thing that we we came up with. You know, we went through the Great uh, Depression and then. Um, there was a, an economist that came up with this idea, this model of living. So we need to pump a lot of money into the economy, you know, create goods that people can use. You know, they consume it and then they throw it away. You know, so 
<laughs> so it's it's reliant on us being consumers, which is destroying ourselves because we have we work in our asses off to 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 make the money. Then in schools they're compete they're teaching us to compete. So you know um, our sense of value, our sense of self. So the adver- the advertisement advertisers are saying we're not enough. We're not we're not enough. You need this makeup. You need this. You need that. You need the other. Or they're they're they you know um, you need this food. You need you know these treats. These fast food. And so they're giving us all of these things that we're consuming. We're destroying ourselves. We're destroying the environment. We're settling with, okay, well, this is the way that the economy works. This is the structure that's in place. No other structure works because when we uh, present any other way to do it, no, that's communism. No, that's the social. Remember those countries that did it. Like there can't be a room for something new to come up. We're not even allowing something new to develop. We're, we're, we're just, we're so used to fitting things into some box. Wow. So we're sticking on something that to something that's destroying us. And, and then like almost like victims to this thing that's destroying us, which then that feeling of, okay, well, it's hopeless. So if it's hopeless, I'm just going to get mine. I'm just going to eat as much as I, I'm just going to feel good, or I'm going to distract myself through um, entertainment, through picking up the cell phone, like everything, the way that it's set up is, um, you know, it's sort of uh, this self-destructive. Can we get back then to, I think when we use, when you use labels about people. So I saw recently in Britain, they were talking about migrants. Yeah. When you say the word migrant, you're dehumanizing them. Yeah. They're human beings with names. So you find out their names and you listen to their story. They are not migrants. Yeah. In marketing and advertising, you're consumers. You're dehumanized. You become things to be manipulated and swayed. Mm. It's no longer human being. In fact, you're, you're put together in this consumers, what the consumers want. Do you really mean, okay, so, but they're not consumers. That's a title, this concept to, and it doesn't, it takes away the humanity from them. They are people, you know? Yeah. I think anything that labels you like that, we've got to look at really carefully. Yeah. First step of control and and being dictatorial is, is dehumanizing them, I think. Mm. That, that's a great point. And we see it in all functions of wanting to control or put people down. So um, we see in the worst ways of all people are terrorists, they're migrants, they're this, they're that. Mm -hmm. If we go back to, because I think once you go back to the humanity in them, we are then forced to deal with the individual 
human story, which a lot of people I don't think really want to deal with. It's easier just to blanket cast them as this or that. Yeah. But every person in this world knows, and you know it as a parent, when you first see your baby being born, they are totally unique. Mm. Totally. And can they, can you ever, re, I mean, they may forget they're unique because of the concepts we get, but in actuality, you can't lose uniqueness. Mm. You, can't, you can't lose what's inherently in you. It yeah. gets covered up a lot in the luggage of life. And this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Or I've got to be professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got to be this way. Um, I've got to play this way. <laughs> but at the core, the reality is this uniqueness. Yeah. And maybe some of the gifts that we get that you got from being quiet, look, learning to observe, some of the the, the, the wisdom that's come through Tanisha, living with this pain, learning to observe and see, is to see this uniqueness. Yeah. In our everyday way of being and bringing together last week's and this week's, bringing it out of functionality and out of the well-spoken quote that someone said in 1934 <laughs> that we're going to say again, Master Mihama Mija said that, <laughs> no, in everyday life. And it's not saying that it's easy to do because, of course, the old concepts still run, the old ideas still run, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But if it's intense, and let's be radical. Do you remember in the Matrix when, when, the uh, the oracle says the oracle so who's the first so the guy who you know the one who makes the matrix his 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 aim was to balance the matrix and the oracle says but my but the reason i'm here is to unbalance it <laughs> yeah to to look at it to to Tear the whole system down and create a new one. Mm. By coming together with people. And remember, we're not alone in this thing. So sometimes we think we're alone. Yeah. But there is um there's people in Bali, Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, in New Zealand, in Australia, mm-hmm. in London, down the road, next door with Mrs. Smith, whatever yeah. it is, all in unison working together. Mm. To create something different, create a new vision. Yeah. Not from a just sit on a pedestal and pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> no, just to, you know, we're oh, man. trying to be ourselves. Yes. Yeah. We're still learning. Yeah. I'm, st- I'm still trying to let go of that, that dream of sitting on the, the pedestal and patting myself on the back and having someone <laughs> uh, fan me. Waving a, a big fan in the in the summertime and 
one point this may be a good uh kind of uh good sort of preparation for our podcast for for next week which uh my dad is supposed to be joining us um uh he he wrote an article um white supremacy and the autonomous the autonomous self i think that's the i hope i'm getting it correct but one of the things um that when you were talking about uh, commercial commercialism and the um, you know the the big CEOs and the heads of, of of companies and just the way that that companies run, the way that the whole mechanism run. And one of a discussion I was having with my dad is a lot of it is because of this white supremacy and. This idea of autonomy, individual autonomy, where the way that it was used, and he'll talk, you know, you know, uh, more detailed and expansive on this, is that in the way that it was used is the autonomous self is that I am just going to go get whatever I want, you know, what I want. I have the freedom to do that. You know, as long as as long as I'm not hurting anybody else or, you know, um, stepping on someone else's uh, freedom, which wasn't true, you know, because look at the Native Americans and, and the, the, the slavery and everything else. So this is like uh, the pursuit of life, liberty and the, the pursuit of happiness. But it wasn't for everyone. And so. The argument what my dad was was saying, which which makes a lot of sense, is is okay. This um, autonomy is very important. Individual autonomy. As long as I don't intend to harm you, then that's fine. So my intention to um, you know uh, put all the crap on the supermarket shelves and to and and to cut down all these trees and to provide uh, all these papers and using all the plastic and everything else, my intention might not be to harm you, but the consequences is that there it's very destructive, you know. And what he was saying, which which I agree with, is hopefully we're moving into like what what you know hopefully we can move into a way of being like the Native Americans have, where you're thinking about the consequences, not about intention, you know, that you are really thinking about. So if I do something and it unintentionally harms you, I am responsible for that. So, you know, if... That that would mean that we have to be responsible. We have to take ownership of what we're doing in the world. If we start thinking in that way, like the Native Americans, how is this affecting seven generations down? I mean, it's literally, that's where we're at right now. How is what we're doing going to affect seven generations down the line? So then it's no longer about me. And I intend, my intention is... I didn't intend to harm, 
but my my choices and the action thereof have consequences. And like we were speaking about, do you remember I told you that I'm running for um, I'm running to be a prime minister of England. I'm starting a new party called the Earth Soil, the the Earth Water and Air Party. Yes, oh, that's <laughs> yeah. a great one. And you are going to be my uh, vice uh, vice uh, <laughs> president. So it's simple thing. You just that anything you do has to take into account earth, soil, and air. Yeah. And I don't even really think this is radical. Yeah. Because every human being has to breathe the air. Mm -hmm. We know that a lot of people have got major illnesses. It's not a, it's not, I don't think it's controversial. The water we ourselves, human beings, what are we, 80% water? Yeah. And without water for, for three days, um, we die. Well, I don't know how many days it is, but it's a, yeah, we die. And the earth, where all the food grows, mm. um, we, if we don't look after it, there's soil degradation in parts of the world, there's pollution in the chemicals. So I don't even think the Earth, Soil and Water Party is anything out there. In fact, Addy, let's do it. Okay, yeah. everybody, I'm running, no, in fact, Addy, I'm not running for Prime Minister. I'm running for Councillor of the UN. I'm going for the UN. Great. The yeah. Yeah. So if anybody out there wants to vote for me, um, Ran Usha, yeah. uh, so far I've got one vote. But this was from one of the children in my nursery, and she's fine. Oh, okay. so I don't know. I don't, I don't really know uh, if that counts. So, if you want to vote for, I'm going for the UN um, top job. I, I I will vote for you. I, you have my support, <laughs> and I think anyone, all of the five year olds, vote uh, votes should count. Yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah. They should be top priority. <laughs> yeah, what can do? I'll say, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, you know, please vote for me, all five and five year olds, you know, and we'll play a little game afterwards. What's that, you know, we play, you know, ring around uh, um, musical chairs. Yeah. That'll be kind of part of the uh, manifesto. So, first bit is earth, earth, uh, water, and air, and you're guaranteed to play musical chairs. That's great. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> and no one gets out. We just continually play musical cheers. Yeah. Even when we take the cheers away, there's millions of cheers, so don't worry, you'll always be in the game. <laughs> and that'll keep us on our toes. Keep us in the in the I don't know. Keep <laughs> yeah, us yeah. in keep us in that. Yeah. <laughs> you keep us in the I don't know because we don't know where this game is going. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, we have no idea. And in fact, this game, if we don't take any chairs away, it never ends. So it's yeah. just going to be uh, pure fun. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, anybody who's thinking of uh, voting in the next <laughs> UN uh, general elections. <laughs> and so, uh, let's see, where are we? It's about, whoa, we're almost, we're almost uh, at the two-hour mark. So. And a, woo! <laughs> Ah, this well, was fun. This has been Coffee Diaries number 
five, yes? Six. Number six. Yeah. And um, yeah, number yeah. five was the one when I was kind of tweaking out and. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good coffee diaries, and are they? Please say thanks to Tanisha. I will. Yeah, I want to have her back sometime. That that would be. Yeah. Do you know what? Let's do a show on empathy. Just empathy alone, and bring Uh her back. Yeah, that sounds great. And say thanks to all your cousins who you know wrote in questions who i feel like i kind of know i see them their names yeah, yeah. The so thank you uh cousins from yeah there were america yeah there was uh oh tanisha said so much love and loving these topics high five oh. yeah. and uh i think uh yeah, I think Benito was watching for a little while there. Um, maybe we should get, we could get convince her to sing for us one day. Probably she probably won't, but <laughs> we'll see. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. You, yeah, and uh, thanks everyone in Facebook on Facebook land, and um, we're still learning. Yeah, yeah, we're still learning. And, you know, um, thanks to the trees. This is the tree right here. Um, as, as Ron said, you, you never know. Your, your artwork may be valuable <laughs> many years later. So I think this one would be a deal if you get it now for, like, let's say $10,000. Because once, you know, it's a, worth millions of dollars maybe 50 years from now keep it in your family and and you know you guys will be you'll be all set <laughs> oh thank you Eddie. yeah yeah you know what you never know you never know your your tree is getting exposure around the world right now